Well, I'm super excited for today's message, The Divided Monarchy, Dangerous Alliances. But before we continue, let's pray, because if it's just my words, we're in trouble and we're going to waste the next 30 minutes. So let's pray for God to speak to you. Heavenly Father, here we are. Please open our hearts to hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing on in our series through the kings of the Old Testament, and I want to invite you to open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 17. We're just going to jump right into his story, the story of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, however you want to pronounce it, 2 Chronicles chapter 17. And I have some good news for you, because this king was good, amen? Although he wasn't perfect. Uh, and hence the title. So we'll, we'll see that played out. But he did a lot of good, and he's certainly somebody that we can celebrate. Second Chronicles chapter 17. He's the son of Asa. Asa, as we discussed last time, was good, but at the end he got stubborn when he was rebuked. Um, and his story ended uh, in a really sad way. But Jehoshaphat starts out really well here. Verse 1 of chapter 17. Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. Now the Lord, verse 3, was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father, David, and he did not seek the Baals. This is high praise in Chronicles or Kings to be, to be compared to David. David was flawed, but he had a heart to serve God. And from the very beginning, Jehoshaphat sets his heart to seek his God. He didn't seek after the Baals, but verse 4, he sought after the God his father and walked in his commandments not according to the acts of Israel. This is a good start. Would you agree? Amen. Things are going well. Verse 5, Therefore the Lord established his kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance, and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. That's what my Bible says there, delight in the New King James that I'm reading from today. Any other words there? He what? Devoted. Devoted. What else? He was deeply committed. In other words, he not only was walking in God's path, but he, he was doing it because he wanted to, not because he felt like he had to. And God saw that he was safe to bless. He was safe to give um, more opportunities and more wealth, etc., etc. He took delight in God's ways. And once again, he's taken down those high places, those illicit places of worship that keep popping up. He's knocking them down. He's saying, we can't worship there. We've got to worship in the, in the spot that God ordained for us to worship. And then he continues. He goes a step further, verse 7. In the third year of his reign, he sent leaders and then it describes the names of the leaders. And look at what they did in verse 9. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the Lord, book of the law with them. 
And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. Not only did he take down the false worship, he sent out leaders to go teach people true worship. They didn't all have iPhones and iPads and books, all of them. He sent out a copy of the Torah, God's law, so that the people in the villages and the countries could hear and could see it, not that they could necessarily read it, but they could hear the words of God being presented to them. He's trying to help change the culture of the nation that was so prone to going back into idolatry. Look at the result in verse 10. Because of this, it says, and the fear of the Lord fell on who? All the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah. So the other nations, again, took note. Whoa, something's happening in that country. And they said, we don't want to mess with Jehoshaphat right now. His God is with him. Last week we said, wouldn't it be nice if people took note of our lives, that God's doing something in our life, and they wanted to be a part of what's going on. It also describes in verse 11 how even the Philistines brought presents and gifts to Jehoshaphat. These enemies of Israel are recognizing God's doing something good. We better get on his good side, so we're going to bring gifts and presents, etc. Verse 12 describes how Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah, and he had much property in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. Things are going really, really well. But what did we learn you have to be careful of when things are going well? We tend to, to loosen our grasp a little bit on God. When things are going good, look out. Because we know when things are bad, we should be praying. And here's where we see a character flaw popping up in Jehoshaphat's life. Verse 1 of chapter 18. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he did what? He allied himself with who? Ahab. Who's Ahab? Bad guy. Good summary. We're going to talk about Ahab, and to be honest with you, Ahab is like my favorite king. Not because of what he did, but because you see so much of his personality come through in the stories. He's just very entertaining to read about, but as far as his character, he is a wicked, nasty, horrible person. Um, but I just, I find it funny how he throws these, these temper tantrums, right? But Ahab was not a good guy. He served the false gods. And here Jehoshaphat is allying himself with him through marriage. He sent his son Jehoram to marry the daughter of Ahab. And what was his wife's name? Jezebel. Was she a good lady? Morally upright? No. No. And their daughter... You know what her name was? Athaliah. She's the only woman in Scripture who's called wicked. Jezebel was never called wicked. She was wicked, but she was never called that. So, so Jehoshaphat sends his son, hey, go marry Athaliah. And this was a bad thing. This was a bad thing. Verse 2, after some years, he went down to visit Ahab. Where? Samaria. Now, we saw this recently, but let's take... Actually, 
Let's first, before I show you a picture of where Samaria is at, let me just share some verses about what the Bible says about our friendships. Right? Jehoshaphat made a poor choice, but what does Scripture tell us? Do not be deceived. Evil company does what? Corrupts good habits. This is just common sense, but we need to follow it. Make how, many, how much friendship? No friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Now, we're supposed to have friends in the community, and we're supposed to be a witness. Um, but there's a difference between being best buddies with somebody who's going to corrupt your soul and being friends with the intent of being a spiritual blessing to that person. Can you sense the difference there? There's an intentionality. When you're hanging out with them, you're not just going along with what they're doing. You're hanging out because you're a missionary for God. Uh, whether they ever accept God or not, you're going to love them. You don't just have an agenda, but you know something different in your heart when you're with these types of people. Because Jesus came down to this world and he hung out with people uh, who didn't have a very good reputation, but he did it for mission. He who walks with wise men will be what? Will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Hang out with good people. If you want to get smarter, get good grades at CBCA or wherever you go to school, hang out with the kids that are getting the good grades. And maybe you're one of them. Maybe I have to hang out with myself more. <laughs> <laughs> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So don't put yourself in situations where you're going to be around stuff that's going to lead you astray. If you're going to go into a situation where this is going to be happening, you're going in as a missionary, prayed up with the Holy Spirit with you, so that you won't fall to what's going on. You're not just going in to hang out and do everything that they're doing. The righteous should choose his friends or her friends how? Carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. You know, uh, for those of you that are dating age, this is really good counsel uh, for, for dating, for life, right? Uh, sometimes people get into relationships just because somebody's a nice person or, oh, you know, they're funny or they're only, the only one that asked me out or the only one that's available. Um, it's worth waiting for the right one. Uh, and God could have a lot of different options for a person in life, but it's always better to wait and not get into an alliance, a relationship with somebody who's going to lead you down the wrong path. And you've seen it with your friends and your family members. When somebody chooses the wrong person, you know what happens. So think carefully and prayerfully who you get into relationships with. Jehoshaphat should have spent some more time reading passages like this. Because he sent his son off to marry that wicked person, Athaliah. So he goes down to visit his family. His uh, what would Ahab be his uh, Ahab's daughter is the daughter-in-law. So what is that? Brother-in-law? No. Not related. 
Okay, well he goes, they should, they should have a name for what that relationship is. Maybe we'll come up, the outlaws, yeah, there's in-laws and outlaws. Anyways, he goes to visit his outlaws in Samaria. Thank you for that. <laughs> when you don't think these things through ahead of time, that's what comes out, right? <laughs> so they're up in Samaria. Travels from Jerusalem up into Samaria. And Samaria is an interesting location because we have found, not that I was there, the archaeological community of which I am not a part of at all, found Ahab's palace. And this was also Omri. Omri was his father who built it first. Ahab added to it. And in another place in scripture, it says that Ahab had a, a room of ivory. He loved collecting ivory. He didn't know at that time it was not right to kill elephants, etc. So he had a lot of ivory. And what's cool is they found a whole bunch of ivory in this location. So who would have guessed it? Archaeology is digging up things that the Bible describes. Here is something that was found. This is called the woman in a window. She's looking out the window. And you'll recall later on when Jezebel dies, spoiler alert, she gets pushed out of a window. That's right. That's right. So anyways, interesting to see, again, there is evidence for the faith that we base our beliefs upon. So that's where Jehoshaphat goes down to. He goes to Samaria. What does Ahab do in, in 2 Chronicles 18, verse 2? It says, Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and all the people who were with him, and he persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. What does it say in your Bible for that word, instead of the word persuaded? Do you have any other words there? Enticed. Yeah, I like that word. As I looked this word up in, in the Hebrew, that was one of the main definitions. Entice. And it's not in a good kind of a way. What does it say in, in Psalms or Proverbs 1 verse 10? It says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Ahab fixing a nice big feast for his outlaw saying, hey, I'm going off to war. Would you be willing to go with me? Almost relative of mine, would you be willing to do that? Verse 3, so Abraham, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered, I am as you are. We're the same, man. And my people as your people, we will be with you in war. This is a mistake. And it's a mistake brought out from his dangerous alliance with the king. But Jehoshaphat kind of comes to his senses a little bit. And look at verse 4. He realizes, whoa, something's not quite right here. And so he said to the king, please inquire of the Lord today. If we're going to go to war, let's at least ask God if it's okay. And so the king gathered together 400 prophets. And of course, they were not prophets of the Lord. And all 400 of them said, go up. You will be victorious. It's going to be A-OK. -okay. But Jehoshaphat wasn't convinced. He said, well, isn't there a prophet of the Lord? Like, not Baal, Baal, which can be translated as Lord. But isn't there one of the only Lord, the true God of heaven? 
Verse 7, so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. See his personality come through. I hate this guy. He's always mean. He never says what I want him to say. Notice Jehoshaphat's response. He says, let not the king say such things. Uh, hey, easy there. Easy there. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. While they're getting Micaiah, uh, another guy, one of the false prophets, gets some horns made of iron, and he does a little parable, a little play for the king, and he puts it on his head, and he says, ah, king, this is what you're going to do to the other armies. You're going to gore them with your horns of iron. You're going to be victorious. And then Micaiah is approaching, and they say to him, please, just say whatever we said. But Micaiah says, no, I can only say what God tells me to say, and that's the only thing that I will say. Verse 14, then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? Don't ask God for his will unless you're willing to do it. Right? Because see what happens. And he said, this is interesting, Micaiah said, go and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. So the king said to him, how many times do I have to make you swear that you'll tell me nothing but truth in the name of the Lord? Even Ahab recognized, I know this isn't God's will. I know this isn't God's will. Stop messing with me, Micaiah. Tell me what God said, which I know isn't going to be what I want it to be. Right? Verse 16. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy? Good concerning me, but evil. See, I told you, Jehoshaphat, this guy hates me. But somehow he knew it wasn't God's will. If you're praying for wisdom about something, are you willing to do what God says? And then Micaiah adds something extra. And this is a really weird passage. But hang with me. Let's look at it. Verse 18, Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? So one spoke in this matter and another spoke in that matter. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Kind of an odd little tidbit there, huh? Some people are, are really troubled by this. There are different ways to understand it, and it may simply be more of a parable in nature. Uh, that's how many people understand it. But something that helps me understand this passage is what we've talked about multiple times already. In the Hebrew mindset, when God permits something, he's committing something. 
When God allows something, it's often viewed as God causing something. Now, remember in the story of Job, did Satan have access to heaven at the story of Job? Yeah, it wasn't until later that he lost his ultimate access. So at this point in, in Earth's history, there are the potential for demons to be there at heaven, bad angels. And bad angels always want to do bad. They don't care if it aligns with God's will necessarily, but they're willing to just hurt people and do bad. And so the, the essence of what we're seeing here, because we know that God is a God of truth and God hates falsehood, but God sometimes allows, as we've discussed, the things of this world to happen. He allows the enemy of souls to do what he likes to do. And sometimes that actually corresponds with God's will. You remember, uh, we talked about Solomon, Solomon being wicked, and so it says the Lord raised up a Satan, a, uh, an adversary, Satan in the Hebrew. God allowed an enemy to attack Solomon because he was trying to get him to be corrected. He was trying to get him back on God's path, the path of righteousness and truth. So here what we see is, uh, whether it's a parable or not, we see God allowing Satan to keep on doing his deceptive works because God was, knew it was best to bring punishment to Ahab. But in God's mercy, God told Ahab that that's what he was doing. Because God's purpose wasn't the punishment. God's purpose was to bring about repentance. Amen? Amen. God's purpose was that Jehoshaphat would see what was going on and that Ahab would see what was going on. But even hearing all of this, they were determined, all right, let's go to war. Let's go to war. Zedekiah, verse 23, struck uh, Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on the day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. This is really funny because he's probably referring to an inner bathroom. So he's saying, hey, buddy, you're going to be hiding in the bathroom when what happens here takes place. The king of Israel said to Micaiah, or said, said, take Micaiah and return to him to Ammon, return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I return in peace. And notice Micaiah's response in 27. If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. You can just sense the drama of this passage. We're only given a few details about it, but imagine just being there. Micaiah has just laid out what the Lord's plans are. He's laid out the enemy's plans, and he said, this is what God has said. Take it or leave it. You're going to be hiding in the bathroom later on, false prophet man. And king, God didn't tell me you're coming back safely. So what's their response? Verse 28, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. Again, you're Jehoshaphat. You asked for God to reveal his will. He did. But because of your dangerous alliance, you're going along with it. 
You know, it's easy sometimes because of our friends just to go along with what they're doing. You think to yourself, yeah, I know this isn't right, but I don't want to look foolish. I don't want to look like a prude. I don't want to look like a goody two-shoes or that I'm judging them. So I'll just go along. But in my heart, I won't be enjoying this. Hey, sometimes you just got to excuse yourself politely. Sometimes you got to say, sorry, that's not, I'm not comfortable with this arrangement. Jehoshaphat had an opportunity, but he felt obligated because he already had said, I'm going to go. So they go to war, and, and Ahab thinks, you know what? I've been prophesied doom against me. I'm going to thwart the prophecy, perhaps, he was thinking, and I'm going to disguise myself. So he dresses up like a common soldier. Jehoshaphat is more dressed up like a king. They go into battle, but their enemy's main purpose is to get King Ahab. And they actually see somebody they think is Ahab, but it turns out it's Jehoshaphat. And they start pursuing him, and Jehoshaphat cries out to the Lord, and they realize in all of this, oh, that's the wrong guy. So they stop chasing him, and God spares Jehoshaphat. But then, it's so interesting. Look at verse 33, chapter 18. It says, Now a certain man drew a bow at random. A certain man just means any random person drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. He's just there. Maybe he's bored. He's not in the main action. So he just takes an arrow, pulls it back, sends it up into the air. He's not aiming at any one particular person, just shooting it. And it lands, and it goes between the armor that Ahab was wearing. And it fatally wounds him. So Ahab said to the driver of the chariot, Turn around and take me out of battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Syrians until evening, and about the time of sunset, he died. Some powerful words here. If you know the Lord's will, if God reveals it to you in his mercy, we should follow it. And one of the clearest revelations of God's will for our lives is right here. God's word. Then Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him. Now this is very interesting. This is the son of the guy who rebuked his father. Remember how Asa was rebuked last time, but he got stubborn and refused to you know, acknowledge that God was right and repent in that regard? Now the son of the guy who'd approached his father approaches Jehu in a very similar position for a rebuke. He went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of God, the Lord, is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. Similar situation. His father's rebuked, and he says, I don't want to hear it. I'm stopping seeking after God. Jehoshaphat hears the rebuke from the son of the prophet who rebuked his dad, and notice what he, he responds with. Verse 4, Jehoshaphat dwelt in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. 
he, he realized, you know what, I'm in the wrong, I need to do right. In spite of his uh, dangerous alliances, he's choosing to try and bring people back to God. He goes out again to try and get people to worship the Lord. You know, just because your parents may do something that's wrong doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because they have a tendency, maybe anger or bitterness or gossip or, or this or that, just because they do it, that doesn't give us an excuse. We can choose. Jehoshaphat realized his dad made a mistake. He wasn't going to make the same mistake. He chose to repent, chose to make better choices and get people back on the right track. And that leads us to chapter 20, which, which we've already preached on here. It's too bad because it's one of my favorite stories, so you can read it this afternoon. It's a, a classic example of how Jehoshaphat was dedicated to seeking God in spite of obstacles. Didn't trust in his own power, he says, against these, these multitudes coming against us, we have no power, but our eyes are fixed upon you. So I'll let you refresh your memory on that in your own time. But let's jump to the end of chapter 20 to see how the story of Jehoshaphat closes out. Chapter 20, verse 31. Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah and was the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked in the way of his father Asa and did not turn aside from doing it, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. He had tried, at least on some level, to take away the high places, but there, there's a point where you can't force people. Um, it was still in their hearts, and so they kept on making these high places. Uh, they kept on loving them, but he was doing what he could do. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, indeed, they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is mentioned in the book of the kings of Israel. But then we get one last little glimpse where one of his old character traits pops up. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, the king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. Again, ah, I think it would be good for us to make this alliance here. Let's do that. Verse 36, and he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made ships in Ezion Geber, which is down, right down here at the Gulf of Aqaba. Uh, Solomon had a port there. So they made uh, this alliance. Kings also talks about it. Verse 37, but Eliezer, the son of Dodavah, of Marashah prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked, so they were not able to go to Tarshish. As you study this story in Kings, we get the sense that there's a, a gap between the ships being destroyed and, and this prophecy, because in in, in Kings, it says that Jehoshaphat eventually told his ally, I'm sorry, you can't go with us. So it looks like, again, he realized, I'm in the wrong. Plans have changed. We can't do this business deal together. Um, but 
the damage was already done, and uh, God raised up a storm, apparently, and the ships were wrecked. So we close out the story of Jehoshaphat. He was a good man. He was a good king. He wasn't perfect. But he was willing to learn from his lesson, learn from his mistakes, uh, willing to admit when he made it an error and willing to change his direction. You know, as we've discussed and, and we'll see time and time again in our series through the Kings, every decision has ripple effects. Every decision has consequences. Next week, we're going to talk about Jehoshaphat's son, but I just want to give you a sneak preview. Due to that alliance, look at 2 Chronicles 21, verse 5. Due to that alliance, Jehoram married Athaliah, and look at what happened. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. A bad decision leads to more bad decisions. That's why every day we need to start our day with the Lord and say, God, I need you today. I can't trust in my own self today. God, I'm going to ally myself with the wrong people, with the wrong situations. I'm going to be influenced by the wrong things today. I need you today. I want to stay on your path. I want to ally myself with you so my will lines up with your will and my steps with your steps. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be walking with the Lord today. How about you? I'm thankful that Jehoshaphat's example largely is a very, very good one. He made some mistakes. It appears as though he repented from his mistakes, and God forgave him. The choices that I make all have lasting consequences, so I want to make good ones. I want to make better decisions today than I made yesterday, and each day henceforth. Is that your will? Is that your desire? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much that you forgive us when we make mistakes and that you want to show us your will. Help us to be willing to follow it today. Lord, help us to be a blessing to our friends, influence them in a positive way, and, and if we have friendships that are dragging us down, give us courage and wisdom to know how to best deal with those situations that we can uh, just keep pressing forward on your path. This is our prayer, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a happy Sabbath, and we'll see, hopefully, a lot of you out at the prayer walk at 3 o'clock at the school today. God bless.